0: Paul's letter to Titus has focused a lot on how we are to live in the world and by that what we mean is how Christians are to live um, in a society that is not primarily Christian because the society is not the kingdom of heaven it hasn't yet fully come and so Paul has been challenging Titus to encourage the Jesus followers on this island of Crete to be different to be distinct from the other citizens that make up the island nation. And Christians are to be different. That's the point that Paul made last week in chapter 2, verse 14, where he wrote this, Jesus has redeemed us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Christians are a special people, a a peculiar people, as it says in the King James. We are his people. I want to read again a passage that we've looked at a couple of times already. 2 Peter, you're welcome to turn there if you'd like. Actually, 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's what it says You are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He goes on to say this, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. And once... Uh, You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so he goes on and says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, in other words, as people who live where they don't belong, sojourners and exiles, I urge you as people who live where they don't belong, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which weighs war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or amongst the unbelieving world, keep it honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What a privilege it is to represent Jesus to the world. You ever stop and consider the honor that it is to represent the King of Kings, to proclaim His excellencies to a watching world? What a gift has been entrusted to us in the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that we might be the city that is set on a hill, shining the light of Christ to the world around us. Well, today we move into Titus chapter 3, where the instructions deepen on how we are to live as citizens of heaven on the earth. And so would you follow along as I read? I'm going to begin in Titus 3 verse 1. And uh, we're going to look at the first eight verses together today. Next Sunday, we will finish up, Lord willing, our study here in the fall through Titus. But notice Titus 3.1. Remind them, Paul says, Titus, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Would you pray with me for a moment? Father, we ask now for your grace and your help to truly not only comprehend what we need to comprehend, but to to apply and live what we're meant to live. As exiles and strangers in this world, as representatives of King Jesus, God, you take these commands very seriously. And I pray that, Lord, even in my expression of them and in my presentation of them, I'll recognize that these things are excellent. And these things must be presented with the passion with which you present them here. And so pray that you would help us to apply these things. Lord, if we need to repent, Lord, that you would lead us to that repentance this morning. We pray for more grace in Jesus' name, amen. Paul begins by reminding us how we're to live in this world. Remember how to live. The first thing he focuses on is how we are to relate to governing authorities And the instruction is clear, be submissive and be obedient. And we may say, well, surely Paul doesn't mean what he says and what he writes here. It sounds like he's saying we're meant to obey wicked and pagan authorities. Well, surely he does. Romans 13 would be another uh, additional support to this command. We're not going to take the time to look at that, but you could look at that on your own time this afternoon. The, the only exemption that we find in Scripture regarding disobeying governing authorities is when those governing authorities' directives are in conflict with the directives of our King Jesus. For instance, in Acts, when they, they pull the, the disciples in and they tell them, you've got to stop talking about Jesus. Jesus. You can't go to the temple and you can't preach the message of Jesus anymore. They beat them up a little bit. But you remember the apostles' response to those authorities. We ought to obey God rather than men. And that's exactly what they continued to do. If our government passes legislation that makes it illegal to own a Bible, makes it illegal for us to preach the gospel of Jesus, like is the case in some countries in the Middle East and in the Asian area, we ought to obey God rather than men. If our government passed legislation making it illegal for us to state our beliefs on certain core issues that we see in Scripture and in culture, like abortion or our views on homosexuality, we ought to obey God rather than men. You know, I have no issues with the way we as a church handled the initial COVID shutdown Our leaders felt it was reasonable uh, to be asked to shut down while we determined the dangers of the virus. Uh, Nobody understood it at that point. But if the government continued to force churches to shut down in a manner that seemed unfair and unrighteous, we ought to obey God rather than men. There were some churches in particular communities uh, where they were being forced to shut down while other entities were being able to meet and uh, they filed lawsuits. They won lawsuits. And I respected their, their nature and the manner in which they followed the law and they tried to challenge the law in those areas. And I've already been asked many times by, by members and by visitors, like, what if it happened again? What if, what if the government said you need to shut things down again? Well, we would evaluate that. We would evaluate what's being asked of us. We would evaluate what's going on in the culture around us and make decisions based upon the facts that we see in the moment. But here's the warning I think we find here. If if you find in you a knee-jerk reaction, or maybe you could call it your default position, is to disobey the governing authorities, you need to ask, where does that spirit come from? Because that is not the spirit of Christ, the Lord Jesus who establishes governments who puts people in positions of power. Yes, we don't understand why certain people are put in positions of power. We don't understand his plan, but we remember that his purposes are always bigger than ours. second bit of instruction that we find is that we're, we're to be ready to do every good work. Uh, th- this means that, that we're to be serving in our communities as Jesus served his communities. He was active. He was functioning. Our presence in the community, uh, your presence in your neighborhood, uh, your place of employment, your your presence in your family should make all of the above better. Should raise the quality of life for your neighbors that you live next to them. It, It should raise the atmosphere and the quality of your workplace that you work with them. If God removed Meadowview Baptist from the face of the earth, Would anyone even notice? Are we making a genuine positive impact in our community? You know, the governing authorities, our communities, believers and and unbelievers alike, they should not view us as a thorn in their side, but rather as an asset to the community. There, There will be times where we will be a thorn in the side. Of governing authorities but those governing authorities should recognize even in that moment that there's something here because these people that we depend on so much these Jesus followers who who faithfully serve and do good in our community are calling some of these decisions into question now there's a lot that could be said and I think there's a lot more that we will say as we move into the new year on these particular issues but But we need to move on because Paul moves on from relating to government to relating to everyone. Government's still included in how we relate to the everyone here. But first he says this, speak evil of no one. In our highly politicized culture, Christians are failing at this with heartbreaking regularity. The word here is the same word from which we get our word blaspheme. It means to slander people. It means to malign people, to defame them. The idea of blasphemy is defaming the name of God. Defaming His character. And here He's saying, don't defame the name of other people. Don't slander other people. So let me ask, do you see an exemption in here? Does He give any other explanations or any ways around it? Does He say, hey, speak evil of no one unless unless they believe abortion is a woman's right, and then you can speak evil of them. Does he say speak evil of no one unless it's a politician that you don't particularly care for, and then, then it's okay? We've got this mindset now that, that's, that's it's not new, but it's being proposed by people, but, but they do it. Well, they speak evil of me, and so I'll speak evil of them. Well, well, there is that command in Romans chapter 12 that says repay no one evil for evil. My wife thought of that part. I thought of my mom who said, that's not an excuse. Just because somebody else does it doesn't mean you can do it. That's what my mom taught. She was getting it from Scripture. And so it's not an excuse for us to say, well, well they're slandering me or they're defaming me, and so I get to, I get to shoot back. That's not what we're called to as Christians. It says, no such thing. The command is clear. Speak evil of no one. Next, he instructs us to avoid quarreling. We've got to stop picking fights. We've got to stop engaging in fights that have no eternal consequence, that have nothing or little to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I get it that everyone is fighting over everything right now. I mean, we've got all sorts of things on the table. We can fight about mandates and gun rights and CRT. So be different. Be peculiar. Avoid engaging in the fighting. Avoid quarreling, as it says. Be kind. Be friendly to those who are on both sides of the issue. Set aside your own pride. Set aside your own opinion. And love others by sincerely just listening. Listen to their perspective. It says in Romans 12, do everything you can do to live peaceably with all people. We do that by avoiding the quarreling. Next and right in line with not being argumentative. Fun word, be gentle. That's a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? That's evidence that we're Of Christ. It's evidence that He's at work in us when we are gentle towards other people. A gentle person is a forgiving person. A a gentle person is a reasonable person. A, A gentle person is a forbearing person. In other words, they're willing to put up with the weaknesses and the sin of others, long-suffering as our God is long-suffering towards us. A, A gentle person loves others. That is, a gentle person prefers the interest of others over their own interest. Love is you before me. We're called to be gentle. I would also say this. A gentle person isn't threatened by the differing opinions of others. Because gentleness isn't weakness. Gentleness is strength. Gentleness isn't a lack of courage. Gentleness is courageous. And finally, Paul writes that we're to show perfect courtesy to all people. Just be nice, be kind. Do good to others, to to all others. Understand, it says, to all others. There's no qualifications here. There's no back doors from which to escape the command. And and don't just be nice to them on the surface. You know, the whole southern nice thing will will bless your heart. No, we're called to be genuinely kind to people. And if it's just surface level, then we've got to go deeper. Just just last week I saw a post uh, from someone in our community uh, Uh, A woman that I know, she works in the restaurant industry. Uh, She's got connections here to even our church. And she put a post about the Sunday afternoon lunch crowd. The Christians who are leaving church and how unkind they can be. How they lack courtesy. Man, that breaks my heart of all the opportunities we have to represent Jesus. This isn't hard for us to understand. It, it really isn't. Jesus was not a jerk. In fact, the harshest words he, he spoke were towards the religious leaders. And, and you may bring up, well, he flipped some tables over. Yeah, he did. It, it, to, in the religious crowd... And in comparison to all the other things that he did and all the other stories that we find, there's only a couple times he showed that side of righteous anger compared to many times of kindness and love. I don't think it's hard for us to understand these concepts. I do know that it is hard for us to live them out. Some of us have deep, deep deep-set sin patterns. We've got ruts in this area where it is our default to go back to these things. We're following the lead oftentimes of the wrong people in learning how we interact with the world around us. We follow the examples of of politicians, of news personalities, influencers, people on talk radio or social media. Instead of following the example of Jesus, instead of following our Savior, some of you have the spirit of James and John, the sons of thunder. You know how they got that name? Because there was a time where they were going to be traveling through Samaria and some of them went ahead and tried to make some arrangements so that Jesus and the disciples could stay in a particular Samaritan village and the people in the village said, I, no, I don't, I don't think we want you here. Obviously, Jesus can be a bit of a lightning rod and a, 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 a figure and when word came back, James and John said, let's call down fire from heaven like Elijah and let's melt them. And Jesus, Jesus, you know, he didn't even laugh at that. He rebuked them because his default is grace and mercy. It says you guys don't know what you're talking about. Show grace and mercy. So friends, if this is your struggle, these, these things, these clear commands, then then today is a day to repent. Today is a day to pray that God would help you grow. And if you're not sure, let me encourage you, ask people around you. Say, does that does that describe me? Ask the people who know you the best. Does this describe my my default? And let them be an evaluator of you. And move forward in repentance. So Paul follows this up with, with tough instructions. These tough instructions with another helpful reminder. Beginning in verse 3, notice what he says. For we ourselves were once foolish. We were disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one Well, what's the point of this? It's important to remember that we were once people of the world. Once we were not a people. Once we had not received mercy either. We were once blinded by sin. Listen, as one commentator writes this, he says, rather than resent and slander unbelieving leaders, educators, the media, people in the entertainment industry, and rather than becoming incensed and venomous, in our attacks on the immoral agendas or various organizations and movements, we should remember that we also once were like those who we are now inclined to defame and condemn. We were once just like them and would still be like them if it were not for the saving grace of God, which alone delivered us. I won't read it again for time's sake, We've got to understand this point. Too too many Jesus followers look at those who disagree with them as an enemy who needs to be erased. They shouldn't be allowed to say the things they're saying or do the things they're doing anymore. This is not a Christ-like attitude. And if I'm wrong on this, please show me from Jesus' life. Show me from the Gospels. Because even Jesus loved his enemies to death. While they're mocking him, while they're ridiculing him as he's hanging on the cross, struggling to even breathe, he says what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you may say, well, I'm not Jesus. Yes, you are. You're called to be Jesus in this world. His spirit, if you're a Christian, his spirit resides in you. That same love is meant to be displayed in your life. That same joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness, all of it is meant to be produced in you. He's not here. He will return. We look forward to that day, but he's left us here to be his body, to represent him. Remembering who we are and who we would still be were it not for the grace of Jesus helps us to be patient with others. At least it's meant to be. It helps us to have pity on others. It helps us to show grace to those who are different and who believe differently than we do. But you also must remember who Christ has made you. Verses 4 through 7. These verses are so rich. So beautiful. Once again, Paul uses this word appeared. It's come up multiple times, but he he uses it to describe the coming of Christ again. Uh, Last week, the grace of God appeared bringing salvation. And that grace will reappear, but but this time it is the kindness and love that have appeared. It it is His kindness and love And love. It's the kindness and love of God and our Savior that has saved us. Kindness and love that are displayed for us in the birth and in the the life and the death and the resurrection and the, the intercession of Jesus for us even now. And Paul's quick to remind us of what we often forget that is, it's He who saved us. It's not because of our own righteousness. It's not because of the good things we we can do or we have done. It's solely based upon his mercy. One of my favorite quotes by by Martin Luther was once something along these lines, I'm paraphrasing. It says, You you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin from which you need to be saved from. There's nothing. It's all of his mercy. And that mercy is revealed by, listen to this, this beautiful language the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, who the Father poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So good. There exists some controversy about what the washing refers to here. Is this water baptism? Is this the inner work? Is this the outer work? Is it what's external? Is it what's internal? I'm going to split the difference and say it's a little bit of both. Because water baptism pictures the life that is ours because of Jesus. Water externally pictures the internal work. That when we are buried and we are raised with Christ, we are being washed and renewed in the Spirit. There's a rebirth that happens. The person that goes in is different than the person that came out. There's a renovating work that takes place in the life of the believer. The picture of the Holy Spirit being poured out is no doubt a reference to Pentecost in Acts 2 when the Spirit was poured out on those apostles who were gathered in the room. Yet every time a sinner calls out to the Savior, the Spirit is is once again poured out into their lives. Generously poured out into their lives, offering a seal of justification and salvation. Our new life cost Jesus his own life. We have to remember that it's through Jesus that we are afforded the new life that we have. And once again, we find a purpose clause. This is all throughout Titus. Why? Why this? And he says, we have been given new life and we have been justified so that we might become heirs. Inheritors. According to the hope of eternal life. Heirs. The good news just keeps coming. i read you a couple places. Romans chapter 8 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And if we're His children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. Here's the way Peter words it in First Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. Not only does God generously share the Holy Spirit, but He generously shares His riches with us. Oh, and we're not talking about stocks and gold. We're talking about the riches of eternity. The the promise is our hope here. This is the promise of eternal life. Our new birth, our new life that the Spirit brings is eternal, it's eternal life. Uh, I follow a a guy named Isaac Adams on Twitter. And every day he, he tweets this. He says, Christians, we're one day closer to heaven. Some days I I glaze by that as I'm flying through, but some days it catches me. It's true. One day closer. Today you actually put this, Christians, we're one day closer to heaven where congregations never break up. We'll sing forever. And where the Sabbath comes to no end. Guys, this is our hope today We begin the Advent season considering that word hope. And that hope isn't found in you. That hope isn't found in me. That hope is because Jesus came. That hope is because Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life. That hope is because Jesus willingly offers himself on the cross. That hope is because Jesus rose again from the dead, because Jesus ascended into heaven, because Jesus is right now presently making intercession for you and for me. And our hope is because he will return again. He will reappear. The one who appeared will reappear in glory. We wait for that hope. But Satan, our great enemy, loves to swoop in on a daily basis and snatch that message. Like that parable of the seed. The seed's thrown and it swoops in and snatches it or uses the cares and the concerns of the world to choke it out so that we forget it. Therefore, Paul has a, one more piece of instruction in verse 8. Once again, Titus is instructed to not neglect speaking these things. He says, this saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things, Paul writes. So that, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent. They're profitable for people. It's as if Paul is saying, Titus, remember to remind them of these things. We have to remember to remember. Because God knows we're prone to forget. He knows we're prone to wander. He knows Satan is prone to distract us. So many of you, we have to remember the gospel. We have to remember who we were. We have to remember who Christ has made us. But at the core of the instruction, and you can see it again for yourself, is this. If, if you're a Jesus follower, you must be careful to devote yourself to what? Good works. Keeps coming up. Because those good works are profitable for all people. That's the reason he gives. Do good things because they're profitable for all people. The gospel produces good. Faith without works is dead. And if the gospel is alive in you, good will come out of you. And that good, not only from what we learn here in Titus, but Matthew 5, 1 Peter 2, It draws people. It attracts people in. Unbelievers are drawn to to the good that's being accomplished. There's a recognition of that good, and that good helps even to keep the peace with the world that despises the message that we teach. Isn't that an irony? They hate the message we teach, but they love and appreciate what that message produces in and through our lives. So if I could sum up just in a few points. Number one, please don't be a jerk. (laughs) Represent Jesus well in society. Represent this church family, His body, well in our own community kindness, gentleness, not argumentative, patient, forgiving of others, courteous to all, it doesn't mean we compromise the truth. Nowhere are we being called to that. But it means when we speak the truth, we speak the truth in love. Some of you may need to seek forgiveness from other people. You've been too harsh, you've slandered. You may need to go to people Some of you may need to find accountability to help you as you try to navigate through some of these things moving forward. Second thing, try to be understanding. We've said this before try to be understanding that sinners are going to sin. What else do we expect? If an unbeliever is rude to you, what do you expect? if an unbeliever passes legislation that doesn't align with biblical truth, why does that surprise us time and time again? They hate Jesus. They hate His Word. They'll hate you. Jesus tells us this Himself. But that doesn't mean we hate them. And it doesn't mean Jesus hates them or hated them. They are where you were before Christ. They are where you would be. Still today, were it not for Christ. So stop with the judgment. Stop with the slander. Pray for them. Listen to them. Love them. Share what's true with them with the opportunities that you have. And finally, we have to do good because good works are good for society. (laughs) It's just true. When people do good, it, it builds up the society and the community. Good works are who we are in Christ. It's who we're called to be. It's what we're called to do. Good works are what compel others to see Christ our Savior. And so bring your cans of fruit to give to people helping people. Bring your, bring your baby wipes so that we can be a blessing to our neighbors at the Republic Pregnancy Resource Center. Uh, Bring in your gifts for Republic Nursing and Rehab for the residents there. They're they're due next week. But what else can we do that's good? I want you to sincerely think about that because um, there are things that we as a church can do corporately like Bring cans of fruit together and wipes and do some of these things. And, and I love that we can do that. But there's people you work with that I don't work with. And there's people you interact with that are in your neighborhood that I don't interact with. What good can you do in their life? What are some opportunities that you have to do good towards those others we can't sit around and wait for ourselves to just naturally do the good we're still sinful people we're still prone to wander we forget the gospel so we have to plan it oh how unromantic is that it doesn't matter Think about the people in your life and think, what can I do this week to do good? How can I be kind to this person? How can I show the goodness of God to my neighbor this week? What are some things that I can do? And then do them. In the end, we cannot allow our love for others to be questioned for a moment. I want people to think when they think of of Meadowview Baptist Church and that's a church that yep, they they believe the Bible and they teach it pretty literally down the line. But man, do they love people. They love to do good in this community. They love to give back. They love to help the hurting. So so, so we're not going to slander politicians. You're not going to find that. We're not going to slander those who are struggling with issues in relation to homosexuality. We're not going to slander other religions. So we were once there. I saw this week where there was some slanderous remarks made against Muslims. And I'll tell you what it made me think of immediately. Uh, some of you remember a couple years ago I was able to go to, to Canada and I spoke at a, a church retreat and conference and I stayed with the Cool balls, our missionaries that they're there, they're in Toronto and they're serving in Muslim communities, working with fellowship Christian athletes, doing different things to just bring the gospel to those people. But before we even went, before we even went to the, the camp with the church group and, and I was talking, um, their neighbors um, who are Muslim, came from Egypt. They had some other friends that had come to town. And um, those other friends had just moved and had relocated from, from Egypt as well to Toronto area. And they, they wanted to have a little bit of a get-together. So they said, Phil, Jess, why don't you guys come over? We're just going to have some food tonight. And since I was there, I got to come too. And they were so friendly. They were asking me all sorts of questions. I was asking them questions. Asked them, why, why did you move from Egypt? He, he was a doctor, she was a dentist, they had a great life there. And you know what their answer was? We just didn't feel our kids were safe. I could relate to that. But what blew me away is just three weeks ago, Phil and Jess Coolball, they came through this area. They had, they had left, they had to come back and do a couple of meetings stateside. We were able to have dinner with them, so we had them over on a Thursday night. And and Phil and Jess, they said, "Hey, Josh, our neighbors, Muhammad and his wife, wanted wanted me to tell you hi." They remembered me, and they told Phil and Jess, "Hey, if you if you see Josh, tell him we said hi. See how he's doing." Man, I was so convicted in that moment. That's the hospitality and kindness and goodness that we're called to show in Christ. How dare we slander other people? How dare we bring judgment upon them instead of showing the kindness and the goodness and sharing with them the hope that we have? Their religion is lacking in hope. They need to hear of Christ. In the end, we cannot allow our love for others to be questioned. Because these are people in darkness and we have the light. I'm going to ask you to bow with me for a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to pray. Maybe it is a prayer of repentance. Maybe there's people that you know, I need to talk to them. I need to seek forgiveness. I've gone too far in what I've said. I haven't been genuinely kind to them. I've just been surface level kind and I need I need to go deeper. What good can you do? So I'm going to just give you a moment in this quiet to let the Spirit work in your heart. And then I'll close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for the grace that we've received in Christ. That's why we're gathered today. We come together today not to earn grace, but because we've been given grace. We come together today to celebrate Jesus and the new life that he gives. Oh, but God, would you help us to be a people who are known for our love. That's how they'll know we're following you. By the love we have for one another. So God, help us to avoid our, our knee-jerk tendencies to rebel, our knee-jerk tendencies to be argumentative and, and defensive and fight and to be ungentle. And help us to live out of the Spirit. God, help us do that in our homes. Help us do that with our spouses and with our kids. Help us to do that as a church. Help us to do that in our community, our workplace, wherever we are, representing Jesus well. And remembering all the while, what a privilege it is to represent Jesus at all. To be His people. What an honor. let say, God, help us as a church as we strive to do what's right, as we strive to live as lights in the darkness. Help us to never compromise what is true. Because what is true is what's right and what's holy and and it's who you are just as much as your love. We get it. And so God, help us as we strive to, to put that truth and love side by side and engage the world around us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the goodness you show us and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.